Yeah. Then he reminds you of Seal, except he's short and white. But other than that, he's, uh, he's awesome. He's bald. But anyway, hey, um, last week, if, you, if you're coming in here and you're seeing like, these monkeys and you think, oh, they've gone cultish, some of you think that anyway. But anyway, um, we started a series last week, Scott did, on this three monkeys comparing these, these, these monkey see, monkey do things from Eastern mysticism. And, and actually, there's a fourth monkey. It's, uh, it's see, hear, speak no evil, and do no evil. And that monkey's actually covering his crotch. And we're just going to ignore, ignore that monkey right now, anyway. But we're, we're taking these three monkeys and comparing them to three teachings that Jesus had right on the front end of his, uh, his three years of walking around the earth and teaching. Uh, and he spent a lot of time talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes he called it the kingdom of God, which is the description that he used for what it looks like to live a life that's connected to God. He called it the kingdom of God, uh, uh, following Jesus. It's, it's the kingdom of, uh, of heaven. See, by the time Jesus had shown up, religion had kind of become, and, and even the religion that kind of gave birth to these, these three monkeys, and, and I would even say a lot of religion even in, in our world today, had kind of landed on this, and this is what Scott hit last week, is that if you don't want to be a bad person, then um, avoid saying evil things, looking at evil things, listening to evil things, and monkey forward say, keep your pants zipped up. So, you know, if, if you can do those four things, you, you won't be evil. And the, there's a I guess it sounds great on paper, but the problem with this is that in order to, to, to do this, the best way to do that, to avoid sinning or making mistakes or being evil, whatever you want to call it, um, the, the best way to do that is just lock yourself in a closet or go live in a cave or on a mountain or on an island all by yourself. But um, if you want to avoid all that stuff, um, you're going to have to avoid life, right? And, and I would say, and let's just be honest, and I'm speaking mostly to the religious people in the room, that we've spent a lot of our life trying to do that, trying to just, I've got to get that away, I've got to get away from that, I've got to get away from that. And then when that doesn't work real well, a lot of us have tried to um, you know, kind of avoid looking at our own stuff. We spend a lot of our life pointing at other people's stuff. You're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. And, and then that, 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 that works for us until our own stuff kind of hits the fan or our own life falls apart. And then this whole game plan of avoiding and pretending, it just doesn't, doesn't work. Jesus taught something really different. He taught a really different kind of life. Jesus taught that the first step in being connected with God and becoming the person that you want to be and that, that, that God wants you to be, the, the first step is, is the moment that you can kind of admit that deep down inside, I'm jacked up. <laughs> I'm messed up. I'm screwed up. I'm whatever up you want to put in there, whatever, you know. That, that Jesus says that there's kind of an aha moment where you kind of go, you know what? There are times, a lot of times, when my heart, my own heart, I'm not talking about hers or his, my own heart, it's not just empty. I mean, it's overdrawn. It's like I, I'm bankrupt inside. And, and Jesus says when you can stop pointing fingers at other people and start saying, yeah, me too, me too. I, I've been there and I do that too. If you could admit that at any, at any time you're five minutes away from blowing up everybody important to you, in the wrong day, in the wrong emotion, in the wrong circumstances, he says, you know what? That moment where you realize that, that you're just broken inside, at that moment you are closer to you're more appreciative of, you're more dependent on, you're more overwhelmed that in spite of all the reasons that God ought to just look at us and go, go away, you get overwhelmed by the fact that he doesn't. He loves you. And he's right there. Jesus taught this. This is what Scott talked a couple weeks ago. He says, when you admit that you're broken inside, kind of like a runaway kid who's ended up in a pig pen, and he's sitting there going, this isn't the life I wanted. And then he remembered his dad. Jesus taught that when you turn your face back to the only person that you really believe can help, which in our case would be Jesus, he says, that's the best moment of your life. Jesus never taught, act like you have your life together. Jesus taught, admit you don't. Jesus never taught, spend a lot of time pointing at other people's mistakes and, and, and faults. Jesus taught, confess your own. 
Jesus never, ever, 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 ever said, if you follow me, your life will get easier. He said, if you follow me, your life will get better. That doesn't mean it's going to be easier. And all that sounds nice. It really does. It sounds religious even, you know. 2,000 years later, living here in America. But yeah, here's the thing is, you've got to remember who Jesus was teaching this to. This is his first public speech, you know. He's talking to a bunch of religious people who'd built their whole life, their religious life and their own personal life, and, and, and based on this. If you don't have your life together, fake it. If you're failing in your life, grab your bootstraps and pull harder. Just try harder. And if you can't do that very well, focus on everybody else's problems and faults and attack theirs. And maybe nobody will notice yours. So when Jesus shows up and says, um, that's really totally backwards. The, the way to connect to God and, and to walk with God, the only way to really even start that is if you just take off your mask and admit that you've got faults in your life. Well, that didn't go over well, real well. In Kentucky, we'd say, that, that went over like a fart in church. I mean, that just, they didn't, that didn't go over well at all. I'm sorry, that if, I don't care if that offended you. Go for it. Anyway, here's the thing. Is, Scott says, you know, when Jesus starts throwing out, hey, I want you to live differently, over and over, people would like get up. You know, they didn't feel, they'd get up, you know, they gather the things, they'd go over to the children's rock area. I don't know, you know, they pick up their kids there and then they'd go home and maybe they'd yell over their shoulder, Jesus, you're crazy. They weren't swearing. They're like, Jesus, you're really crazy. And Jesus' response, you know, if, if they would have just said face to face, I, I can't speak for him, but this is what I think he'd say. You're right. A lot of people think I'm crazy. And if you, fo- if you follow me and live this life too, people are going to say that you're crazy. But like we just sang, um, how's your own life working for you? Because if you're ever going to survive, you're going to have to live a little bit crazy. You're just going to have to do some things differently. Because what we've got now isn't working, Right? And here's what Jesus you know, said last week that Scott was teaching about. He says, you know what? Religious finger pointing and blaming and hypocrisy, your life's bad, but my life's good, at least on the outside. That's left the world with a really bad taste in their mouth. Not just for Christians and church, but God. And Jesus says, listen, if you just try this crazy life that I'm offering you and what I want to talk to you about today, you'll be like, this is what it was last week, you'll be like salt in the earth. Not only will your life taste better, but you'll rub up on other people and they, they'll get a better taste, not just of you. I mean, if they do, great. But really, they'll get a better taste of what God's like. And that's where we left last week. It's kind of what flavors your life and what kind of taste are you leaving in people's mouth? Not just about you, you but, but about God. What do they assume about God based on how you, how you treat him? So let's pick up where we left off last week. If you have a Flatterns Bible or you want to go grab one or whatever, page 671, Matthew chapter 5. This is the first public talk that, that Jesus ever gave. So he, he, last week, this is what he said. All he said is all in one big talk. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but, but if you're my people, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to be something else. Matthew 5, uh, verse 14. He says, um, you also are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're also the light of the world. All right? And he's not just talking about, hey, you in row 14 on the third one from the end, you're the light of the world. He, collectively, too. He's talking to his church, his followers. We are the light of the world. And then he goes on, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, we talked about this back at Christmas, too. One of the titles of Jesus, he had like Messiah or Savior, um, which means I'm going to connect you back to God. But, but he had a lot of other titles as well. And one of those was he's the light of the world. Meaning that we can't really save ourselves, but God shines his light into our hearts and, and things kind of come alive again. And that's Jesus shining in us. And, but in his first public talk, he doesn't get up and go, I'm the light of the world. He says, listen, if I'm in you, I want you to be the light of the world. I want you to be the light of the world too. You say you're my people. You say I live in you. Um, then, then, then let your light shine. And then maybe he points to a hill going, see that hill over there, up in, that, that city over there on top of that hill? Everybody see that yet? I want you to be like that. Now, let me explain that. Back in Jesus' day, people had tried to build their houses and, and their villages on top of hills. 
And that, that's still true today. I mean, if you drive west, the, the higher you get, the, the more expensive the real estate. Because the, if you can be on top of a mountain, that's, that's the place to live. And it's the same with the village. He says, I want you to be like a city on a hill. Um, people build their houses on, on hills for two reasons. One, so they could see. I want to see what's coming my way. I want to see what's really, really going on. And Jesus says, I want my people to be like that. I want you to be like a city on a hill. I want you to be able to see from a different perspective. And the other thing is, I want you to be seen. See, at night, you know, you had a village and all the fields around this village usually were owned by that village. So as the shepherds and the farmers were out there and the kids were out there playing, you know, in the woods and stuff like that, and the sun went down, all they had to do is, oh, there's home. And they find the light shining on a hill and they go, oh, I know how to get home safe. Jesus says, that, that's kind of a picture of what I want Flatirons to be. Not just Flatirons, but my church in the world. I, I, I kind of want you, would you just turn the light on? This is a dark world. Could you turn the light on and could you just look around and see what needs to be done? Could you shine your light so people can see how they can get home to God? I want you to do that, just like that city over there. Then he goes on. Look at this next verse, verse 15. He says, now, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Some people don't do that. I mean, some people do, but that, that doesn't make sense. You don't light a lamp or a candle or something like that and then put a big pot on it. But here's the thing is, I, I, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, well, actually, a lot of people do. A, a lot of people do. I, I think that that's a, that's a good description of church. And here's what I mean by that is that, I mean, if I had all the Christians you know, raise their hands, I can't, I'm out of my sling tonight, but I can only go this high. So, hey, anyway, so anyway. So, so here's the thing. It's like, so, okay, I found Jesus or Jesus found me and I love him. Yes, I do. How about you? And so I got this light and so, okay, and then I show up here and then you show up with your light and now we have two lights going and it's awesome. And then, oh, the little kids come in. They got their little lights and they come in here and stuff like that. And then we got the rugged people in here and they come in here and they got, they love God, love Jesus too. And then we get together and go, oh, you know, uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it, you know, and we all get together, all this big thing. And then we go to church, Right? And we get in there and go, you know, Brian writes a song, Shine, You Shine, like starting. Yeah, that's great. And we're all in there going, isn't it awesome in here? And every once in a while, we'll, we'll work up the courage to go, ooh. I'm glad I'm not out there with those people. Or, or we'll shout a message out going, you shouldn't do that. You should be in here with us. It's all good in here. And, you know, I'm just not sure that's, that's what Jesus was selling. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what Jesus was teaching. I, 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 I think Jesus is saying, um, hey, listen, you got light. Why are you sticking it under a bowl? Why are you all hoarding it to yourself? He says, that's not what I had in mind. Instead, and look at the rest of this verse. Instead, here's what. You don't put a light under a bowl. You put it on a stand. You put it on a big candelabra. You you have a chandelier and you put it up as high in the room as you possibly can. Because then it gives light to everyone in the house, not just you. And Jesus says, you know, let let me just get to the point here, okay? I'm, I'm not even talking about flashlights. For those who aren't keeping up, this is not a story about lamps life. Okay. It's not that at all. He says, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the same way. What do you mean the same way as the light? Don't put it under a bowl and you put it on a hill and that. Okay. 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 In the same way, what? Let your light shine in front of people so that those people can see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. He says, you know, you're in a room and all the candles are on one side of the room and that side of the room is really, really dark. Why don't somebody take a candle over there? Why would we do that? So they can see, so they can see. And the result is that that light shines on people. And, and, and now we're going to leave the candle behind. He goes, and that's what happens with people. When you shine my light on people, people get a picture, not of you, but of, of the way God's like. So Jesus says, I want you to shine your light. Well, what's that mean? I mean, that sounds like a kid's song, you know, let it shine, let it shine. Let it. What, what does it mean, let your light shine? It's very simple. When Jesus says, you're the light of the world, I want you to shine your light in front of people. And don't get too deep on this. Don't go, in the Greek, it means, no, no. You know what it means? It means do good things for people. 
Do good things for people, especially people that aren't connected to God. Not just do good things for other Christians. Good for you. I tell you, why don't you do things for, for, for people that don't even know what God's like, or they thought they knew what God's life, what God was like, and then their life fell apart, and they got really mad at God. He must not care for me anymore. Or he's mad at me, and I don't want to follow God like that. And you, you, you go over to their house, and you let your light shine, and then you know what? They'll see what God maybe he's like. That's what it means. It's called good deeds. Do the good deeds in such a way, not that you get a pat on the back. Boy, you're so spiritual. Now, why don't you do a good deed for somebody and let God take the credit for it? Maybe they don't even know your name. See, a guy named Peter who's one of the very first followers of Jesus. Years later, he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, God wants us to live such good lives among the pagans. And the pagans are the people who go, I don't know. God? Which God? God who? What's God like? I don't even know what God's like. I, I heard about God, but I'm not really into that. He says, I want you to live such good lives among people that don't even believe in God that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will. You show up and start, you know, helping out people, and they'll be like, whoa, 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 why are you doing this? Well, I follow Jesus. I don't like Jesus. I don't like, I, flat iron, I don't like that church. I don't like Christians. Christians in the world, you know, the Crusades and that, you know, that and this and that. And they'll go on that. And they'll say, I don't believe in God. I don't, I'm an atheist. I'm this. I'm this. I'm anti-this. I'm, I'm whatever. Okay. I just want to do something good for you. See, listen, um, when you do something good for somebody, um, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds. And they'll, and they'll, They'll glorify God. They'll go, oh, God, is that what you're like? On the day he visits us. See, people can argue against flat irons. I hate that church. Okay. Or I hate Christianity. All right, you probably got a good case. You can build a pretty good case. I hate the church. I hate the Catholic church. I hate the, this church. I hate that church. I hate, I don't, okay. You know what you cannot argue against? I was out of town. They mowed my yard. I couldn't cook, and they put a casserole on my house. At my house, not on my house. That wouldn't be helpful. But anyway, go with it, you know. I couldn't do carpool. They picked up my kid. I couldn't pay my light bill. They paid my light bill. I don't believe what you believe. I don't think what you think. And I really don't even like your church. But you know what? I, I don't have anything to say about that. And that, 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 it says in there, on the day he visits us. What do you mean on the day he visits? They'll praise God on the day he visits. Well, it could be one or two things. One is, when they see the good that you're doing for them, um, maybe in the process they meet God. We say a lot around here, hey, just, you know, don't go out and preach to people. Just invite them to come and see. They'll bump into Jesus. Maybe they'll bump into him in this room. Maybe because you let your light shine. Maybe because you invite somebody. Maybe because you go over and help somebody and they go, why are you doing that? Uh, yeah, I've been going to this church. Could I go to that church with you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the day they meet God, they don't have to be afraid of him anymore. You didn't save him. You just introduced him. And that's good. James, the half-brother of, of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that is that, you know, Mary was a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. And then Mary went ahead and married Joseph. And they had kids, okay? And one of those, those, those boys, named, his name was James. And he wrote the book of James right at the end of the Bible. And, and he, he says this. Read this later. It's in James chapter 2. He says, he asks this question. What good is it if you walk around going, I've got faith? I have faith. I have faith. I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I sing the songs. I do this. I, I mean, I, I, I got Jesus' light in me. I just love God. Good. What, what, what good is it if a person walks around going, I love Jesus, I have faith, um, but they have no deeds. Or they have deeds, they're just, no, they're just like everybody else's deeds. They're just the, the regular, everyday deeds. Says, what kind of faith is that? What kind of life is it? What kind of faith, what kind of light is it that says, I have faith, but it didn't lead to any difference in the way you live your life? And James answers that question. Very simple. Faith without deeds is dead faith. It's dead. Good for you. You're not going to hell. Oh, you got a light? Good for you. It's in there and it's good. It just doesn't make any difference. 
Does that make sense? He said, it's, it's like, like Scott said last week, it's like salt's not salty anymore. You've got a salt shaker full of it. Big deal. It's the same way. Light that doesn't shine, it's dead light. And then James Clare closes it up. You walk around going, I love God and I love Jesus and I have Bible memorized, I have faith. And other people going around, well, I don't have faith, but you know, I do good things and I, you know, preserve the planet and I help puppies and I help ladies across the street. Good for you. James says, you know what? I'll show you my belief system, not by my sermons, but the way I live my life and how I treat people, especially the poor and the hungry. And when James says, you know, my faith is going to lead to deeds, he's not talking about a prayer service. There's nothing wrong with a prayer service. I'm all for that. But it's not like, let's just all pray for the hungry people of the world. It's not what he's talking about at all. He says, turn your wallet upside down. Let's feed some people. Faith leads to deeds. It, it, it leads to good works. That's what Jesus was teaching. So how do you apply that? How do you apply, go let your light shine, or, you know, you're the light of the world? How do you, how do, you do that, you know? I mean, we can do it in here, everybody's shining. I mean, if our spirits could line up the room right now, we'd be a mirror ball. It'd be great, you know? But the, the, the truth is, I'm talking about, after you leave the parking lot, how do you shine your light? And Jesus is very, very clear on this. It's very simple. Again, don't get too deep on this. You're the light of the world means this. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you say, I've got Jesus in me, two things. Here's the takeaway today. One is, like a city on a hill, you got to look at things different. You got to see people different. You got to change your perspective. You got to turn on the light. You know, you got to see things from a different perspective. Hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up, uh, the, the two thirds of the Bible before Bethlehem. Okay, so all that stuff in there that's really hard to understand in there. All these people, that, these prophets, they would come along and go, one day God is going to send a Messiah, a Savior. He's going to send this person that's going to reconnect us back to God. It, you know, he promised it back in like the first couple of chapters of the whole Bible. When God's going to send this person, he's going to reconnect us back to God. And, and here's the thing. When he gets here, he's going to do certain things. One of those things is um, he's going to feed people and he's going to you know, help people and he's going to love people. One of the things is, is he's going to make blind people see again. And if you read through the biography of Jesus, over and over you find these stories about a blind person and he touches them or, or, or he does something and they can see. But here's the truth is, I think it was, those prophets were talking about more than three years of a reprieve from blindness. Because all those blind people are dead. Oh, you know, no one's here, all right? All the people that Jesus healed, fed, you know, brought their sight back, they all went ahead and died. They're blind again, okay? I mean, their bodies are not working anymore. So it has to be about something else. And the answer is, when the Messiah gets here, he's going to help us see the way he sees. He's going to take the blinders off of, and we're going to be able to actually see the way that that, that God sees from, from a different light. And that's this monkey see part. This is exactly what we're talking about. He says this, I want you to look at people different. Hey, you, you claim to follow me. I want you to see people different. I don't want you to see and, and judge people based on um, their, their ability to perform at gold medal levels. You know, if they have eight medals around their neck, they're more valuable than the person that didn't even finish. He said, well, I don't believe that. The last couple of weeks, we sure have value some people more, Right? I'm not saying or pulling what they've, they've done down, but we base things on externals a lot. You know, we, we base value uh, on, on appearance. Not that, that, that what God has said is beautiful, but some marketing company in New York City has decided this will sell and this is beautiful. We just buy into it. And he says, I don't want my people to be like that. I don't. I want you to see things different. You want to be successful? I want, to look at, I want you to look at your success different. Not what's in it for me and how much money am I going to make off of it. Nothing wrong with that, but if... If you think that's what success is, what kind of car do you drive? What part of town do you live in? Jesus says, I want you to see different. If I'm in you, you got to look at stuff different. I want you to turn the lights on. I want you to look at people. 
the way I see him. I want you to value people the way Jesus values us. Why does Jesus value us? You think Jesus values us because we might be able to do something good for him? Let's just really analyze that. What can you do for God that he couldn't do better for himself? You know, if God was going, oh, I could do this, but Jim just said no. You know, no, it doesn't even, if that makes sense, God could do anything he wants. God loves you simply because he made you and he loves you in spite of the way I act. You know, I, I love Scott. Scott intimidates me just a little bit, um, so I'm not going to let him preach nearly as much. He's way too good. But anyway, so but one of the things that Scott does that I wish I did more is he reads books. I don't, all right? I don't read books. I, um, if we go out to dinner sometime and you look across the table at me and you go, hey, have you read? I'll stop you right there. No. I own that book. But I've never read that book. Anybody else? You know, yeah. I've got, I've got a, an office full of shiny books, you know. I could return them and probably get almost all my money back for them. But Scott reads them and it's, it's really good. But I, over the last couple of months, because I, you know, my, I've got my body's falling apart and all that kind of stuff, um, I've had some time. So I've been reading. I read two books this summer. Thank you. Thanks so much. Anyway, uh, one was the book that Scott talked about last week, Unchristian, and it's a really good book. It's kind of heavy on times, but, but it's a really, really good book. The other book I read this summer is called The Shack. All right, so, well, five other people have too. So anyway, all right, and here's, here's the thing is, okay, this, it's a fictional book, all right? It's, it's, it's a fictional book based on the Bible, but it's fiction. And in this book, this guy has an opportunity to hang out in a shack, a cabin, for about three days with God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I just hang out with him for like, like, like three days. And as you read this book, and I'm not giving anything away. I think you really want to go get this book later. But in, in this book, this guy and God, who in this book is a, is a really large African-American woman. That'll just blow your stereotype up. You know, then anyway, he's telling God, kind of ranting, going, hey, God, this is what's happening in my life. And this is what went on. And then he kind of turns the corner and goes, and how come you haven't been doing your job better? And how come you haven't been taking care of me the way I think that you should be taking care of me? Because you know, I mean, you know what was going on and you could have stopped that. And he's arguing and arguing. And in the middle of this conversation, he just stops and goes, whoa, why am I telling you this? You're God. You already know this. You watched it happen. You, you know how this whole thing is going to turn out. You, 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 you know everything that's going to come out of my mouth even before. Why are you letting me go on and on and on? Why are you letting me ramble on and on, God? Why is that? This is what God says back to him. He says, because what you're talking about is very important to you. So it's important to me because you're important to me. And I'm interested in you. So whatever you're interested in, I am too. And God honors us by paying attention to us. Now, I'm sitting on a porch on vacation reading this book and I thought my vacation was gonna be great. God might as well just close the book up and just smack me on the side of the head. I'm right there and you're like, oh, you know, because... This, and you know what? I'm going I'm to confess some stuff here to you, and you're going to probably go, well, maybe we ought to find another church. Maybe, maybe so. But let me tell you the kind of person that your pastor is, okay? Um, I'm not a very good listener. I'm just not, you know? And like nine out of ten fights at my house with Robin are about one of us not listening to the other, which is code word for me not listening to her, but go with it. But, um, and don't nudge your husband right now. Okay, so anyway, see, and here's what I mean by this, okay? And this is going to really disillusion you about me. If you're talking to me, here's what I do. I kind of... I think I know where you're going with this. And I, I stop listening. And I jump to the end of the conversation about where I think you're actually going. I start forming my answer because I got to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure that my answer is really better than the argument that you're building. So let me just cut you off, talk on top of you and give you all my wisdom right now before you're even finished. Oh, Jim's awesome. Yeah. Me too. Come on. Give me a me too. Anybody? Good. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. All right. And, and, and here's the thing. Um, Jesus was nothing like that. 
Jesus never cut somebody off going, oh, save your breath. Let me just say it. He never did it. That's not how Jesus treated people. It's not how he treats people today. He could have. He was qualified. I mean, Jesus is walking through a village or walking through a town or walking through your house or whatever. He could have walked around just passing out advice. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And, and, and judgment, this is what you have coming. You know what? And, and been right because he's God. He could have jumped right to the end and said, this is what you deserve. You got it coming. But you know what he did instead of that? He went fishing with people. He hung out with people without an agenda. He went to, your, he went to their parties he listened to their stories. He showed up at their weddings. He went to their funerals and cried alongside of them, not because he didn't know what happened after death. He knew. He grabbed lunch with people that nobody else would eat lunch with. And you know what he did when he was eating lunch with them? He just listened. Not because he didn't know what was going on in their life. Jesus never looked back at somebody and went, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> he never looked back because he didn't know what needed to be done. He knew. He's God. This person pouring out their life and their heart to him, he looked beyond all their stuff and looked inside him and go, I see you, and you are important to me. So whatever's going on in your life, that's important to me too. So here's the first application question tonight, and this is going to be really, really awkward. How do you look at people? How do you see people? Let me just go through my life, because these are the ones that are really offensive to me. Here, ready? Has your family become a list of things to do? Your marriage or your parents, just one more thing... It has to be endured. And when you're having a conversation with them, really in the back of your mind is, would you just hurry up and stop talking so I can go do something else? How do you see people? You go to work this week. Um, what are the people in your office? And you never say this out loud, but just have this conversation in your own head. Are they stair steps? You're here and I'm gonna walk all the way to the top right over you. And the only reason you really care about them is because if they mess up, the ripple effects might fall on you. How do you see people at work? What about on the way home tonight? You pull up at an intersection and a, just a really crappy car pulls up beside you, crammed with 10 people from a different country. What do you see? What's the story that you just automatically kind of assign to them? Well, this is probably what happened there. How about you, on your way home, you, you stop at the grocery store and you, you're going through the junk food aisle and there you'll see an, a morbidly obese person pushing their cart, filling their cart up with all the wrong things. Or maybe you're on, even on your way to your car tonight, you'll walk by the liquor store and there's a man in tattered clothes stumbling his way out. What do you see? Or you just kind of stare at them until they look your way and then you kind of like look the other way. I, I, I don't see you. And school never changes, does it? Remember? I mean, you've only been in school like three days and it's already the same. When you walk down the hallways you know, and you see all the different groups of people, the jocks, you know, the nerds, the, the band geeks, that's me, uh, uh, the emos, the whatever, whatever it is. You know, when you're sitting in class and a girl raises her hand in her sleeve, you know, it's August, her sleeve goes down and you see some fresh cuts on there. You just kind of turn your head away like, I didn't see that. I didn't see it. You know, it's, it's going to get kind of political around here this week, if you didn't know that. You know, as you're listening to candidates on either side, this isn't a political statement at all. Um, but they're, they're pushing something that you disagree with. Where do you just kind of jump to? Well, I think that they are what? They're What? Or how about this? When you, when you turn on the news or hear on, through gossip or whatever that one more pastor or one more politician has failed morally, is your first response, see, there you go? Or do you kind of look at it different and go, you know what? Behind that news line is a hurting family, a devastated husband or wife, and kids are going to cry themselves to sleep for the next several years. Could you look at that differently? 
Or how about tonight when you turn the news on and you see another hurricane, another bombing, another famine? Do you see really broken people that God really loves and that matter to him? Or you kind of look at them and go, oh, it sucks to be you. And then you turn the channel to something, I don't know, more positive, maybe something happy and funny. See, Jesus says, I just want my people to be different. I want you to turn the light on and I want you to look at stuff and see situations and people, not as the world sees them, but, but the way I see them. And then the, two, the second application is, I mean, Jesus, I want you to turn the light on and look at people different. And the second thing is this, you gotta treat people better. Hey, followers of Jesus, we gotta treat people better than we're doing. He says, we gotta do good works. And I was gonna say, you gotta treat people gooder, but all the English teachers would flip out. But anyway, you know what I mean? You gotta treat people better than what we're doing. See, when you reject the world's system of judging and valuing and begin to look at people and see people as God sees them, you know, you can't continue to treat people the same. It just doesn't make sense. You know, that's, that's where we get that, the word mean. You know what it means to treat somebody mean? It's a mathematical term. Average. It's right in the middle. I treat you kind of mean. There's people that treat you better, but there's people that treat you worse. I'm right in the middle. And Jesus comes along and says, I don't want my people to be average. I want to be more than that, better than mean. And Jesus taught over and over, all people matter to me. I want them to matter to you. And if they matter, I want you to do good works for them and to them. Not so they return good to you. They probably won't. They'll probably judge you and throw it back in your face. But here's what Jesus says. Hey, leave this room and go out here and do good things for people. Because Jesus says, and this is Jesus, not me. He says, when you do that, people catch a glimpse of something that a lot of people have given up on. Maybe I still matter to God. You know, that's why we go to Afghanistan. I hope everyone in this church eventually gets to go to, to the, we're building a town for, for, for the new people. We, we're building a town uh, for homeless people uh, and widows and orphans in, in, in Barkov, Afghanistan. Uh, and, and I remember the first time that we went there and we said, hey, we've been praying and we want to build a well for you. And you know what the response of the elders of that village was? Some of you know this, some of you know this, it's new. They looked back at us and they said, you know, we've been praying to our God for months. We got nothing. This is them. This isn't me. This is the African people saying, we pray to our God for months. We got nothing. We ask our friends for help. Nobody's coming to our rescue. You pray to your God and we have water. And every other agency in the world has promised, now we'll be back. We'll be back. And you guys are the only ones that keep on coming back. And if you go to Afghanistan one day and go to Barakab, this is the most common question that will be asked of you. Now, why are you here? What, what are people like you doing here with people like us? And I'm going to coach you on your answer right now. Ready? Here's the answer. We just believe that God really loves you, so we do too. That's what, that's, that's what we're, we're passing out. See, that's why, and I'm so proud of this church, that's why we pile food and school supplies and trucks and put money in buckets and volunteer our times to, to park cars and take care of, of, of kids that aren't ours. All right? it, it's, it's why over and over around here, and more and more you're going to hear me say, you've got to get connected. I'm in a room of a thousand is okay, but you've got to get in a smaller room and, and have conversations with people. You've got to get in a Bible study or go hiking with somebody. You've got to get connected. And here's why. Because we believe, because Jesus taught this, that your best shot at actually believing that you matter to God is going to happen, is more likely to happen if you actually believe that the people who claim to follow God, you matter to them too. See, if you do something good for somebody or help somebody out, you're not saying, I approve of you or your lifestyle or, or I believe, I approve of what you're doing. Just because you help them out, you're not saying, I like what you're doing. You're not saying that you agree with what they believe in. 
You know, I, I believe in a different God than the people in Afghanistan. When I go in and help them, I'm not saying that I, don't, that I believe the same that they do. And you know what? I, and I think I can speak for Jesus here because Jesus told us to go do this. We're not being disloyal to Jesus when we go help people that don't like Jesus. We're actually being like him. We're being like him. See, because Jesus taught, I'm telling you, they'll see me if you will treat people like I treat you. You matter to God. Therefore, you matter to me. What can I do for you? Jesus never, ever says, it doesn't matter what you believe. If you're thinking it's like, hey, it's just, you know, go, you know, just grab a piece of the elephant or whatever, you know. He's not saying it doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus says, it doesn't matter what you believe if your life and the way you treat other people doesn't back it up. Who cares what you believe in here? If it doesn't make a difference the way you live out there. So here's the takeaway today. If you want to take notes, let me put it down here, right? Jesus says, if I'm in you, I want you to shine your light, like a light on a hill, like a a stand. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to see people the way I see people, and I want you to treat them better. I want you to do good deeds for people, not so that people will love you, and not so that Jesus will love you more or shine more light on you or save you. I want you to go treat people better because you realize how much I love you already. See, people can accuse you and argue with you and say they hate flat irons and they hate God and they hate Jesus and they think we're all a bunch of hypocrites, but you know what you can't argue with? There is no argument against this. Everybody treats me mean except you. How can you argue against that? You know, I treat you bad. I keep on treating you bad. You don't return evil, you know, good, you know, evil for my evil. You, I treat you bad. I treat you evil, whatever that is. And you, you treat me good. Why is that? I keep telling you to go away, and you won't. Why? Why do you keep inviting me to church? How come when I was out of town, you mowed my yard? How come when my kids were sick, you, you, you brought food over to my house? And Why? And that's when God turns the light on. Only God can change someone's heart. So here's my last question. And we're out of here, right? Great song coming up. Um, if God did want to tell somebody that they matter to him and that he loves them and wants to be connected to him, they might be in Afghanistan or they might be at school or work on Monday. If God wanted to send a message to somebody, I love you and you matter to me, what's the best shot of them hearing that message? Let me give you two scenarios. One, followers of Jesus yell at them for being wrong. Lecture them because they should know better or simply ignore them and trust that they're somebody else's problem. That might work. Seems like that's what we've tried for the last several hundred years. Or here's another suggestion. What if followers of Jesus would let their light shine? To make that clear, here's what Jesus meant. Um, Because Jesus is in you, could you treat people as if they actually matter to God and that's enough reason for you to do good to them? Which one do you think Jesus was teaching? And I would build a case for number two. Also known as, that's the way Jesus treats you. So you could, here's the crazy part of this whole thing. You could boil almost all of Jesus' teaching down to just love people the way I've loved you. I mean, we can get halfway there with do unto others as you want them to do unto you. But let's take it another step. Why don't we do to others what Jesus has already done for us? What do you mean? It means he looked at us through a different lens. Religion looked at us and smashed us. Said you made mistakes. Go to hell. Jesus looked at us and said... I'm going to look at you different. I'm going to push your mess aside and what you did and how you screwed up your marriage and how you screwed up your, you know, your addictions and, I'm gonna, and your finances and, and, and your second marriage. I'm going to push all that aside and I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at you. You matter to me still. And you need me to do something good for you. I'm going to do the best thing I'd ever do for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash that away. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to come and live inside of you. Then he looks at us and says, hey, what I've done for you, you can't save or fix anybody, but if I'm living in you, could you just shine that light to somebody else? Um, you are the light of the world. 
let your light shine. I don't know how to apply this more than that. I could list 10 things of here. We just get up and let's go do these 10 things. I, I don't know if that is be nicer to the lady at McDonald's. I don't know if that's go help your neighbor. I don't know if that's write a fat check for an organization that's feeding. I don't know if it's going home and asking your parents for forgiveness. I don't know what that is for you because I'm not your Holy Spirit, but God is. And I think he's going to tell you in the next few minutes. You've been seeing things maybe wrong. You've got to look at stuff different. And I want you to get up out of this room and I want you to go do something good. Let me pray. Listen to this great song and then we'll be out of here. God, come to you tonight. Um, I, there's something I cannot do by myself and that is I cannot peel the scales off of my eyes. I, you know, for years and years and years, culture and people have kind of said, you gotta see it like this. And so God, I'm asking you to come even more into my life and help me see people the way you see them. Not based on what they've done or what they're able to accomplish or do for me or what they've done to somebody else in the past. Could I see people the way you see people, that all people matter to you, even the people that don't even like you matter to you. And the only way they might ever turn their face back to you, I mean, you can do anything you want, but you say that the best shot of them turning their face to you is if your people would care about them too, the way you do. So God, will you teach us what that means and apply that to our life? We, we, we help us see the beggars and the choosers and the hungry. And rather than passing out judgment, can we look in the mirror and go, I'm a, I'm, spiritually, I'm a beggar too. And I've made a lot of wrong choices. I'm not going to throw stones at anybody. God, we have eyes, but help us to see better. In Jesus' name, amen.